Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, good morning. I'm the guest speaker this morning. My name is Aaron Varner, and I'll be here for the next several weeks. Oh, it's great. It's great to be back. So, thank you. Um, I, I wondered yesterday when I came in, I just wondered what it, what's it going to feel like when I stand up here. And uh, um, people say, did it go fast? Did your time go fast? Which, by the way, if you didn't know, I'm the senior pastor, had the great privilege of leading uh, here at West Hill, and the church has graciously extended uh, sabbatical. So for the last seven weeks, I've been away and uh, now have come back. Today's the first day. Um, but actually, I would say yesterday was my first day because you didn't want me preaching today without preparing. And so uh, I did spend some time in the office yesterday. But um, just good to be back. A couple things that I want to cover first. Uh, first, I just want to let you know, John Albright uh, went home to be with the Lord yesterday. And so uh, 96, John lived a great and full life. Uh, good to have Chris Rines with us this morning. And um, Chris was like John's daughter. And, uh, and so um, we'll be getting together and, and sharing more details in the future about a service for John. Um, but just pray for Chris and uh, praise the Lord that John, John lived a good full life. He was faithful to the Lord served uh, here at West Hill for, for many years. Uh, I think John started attending back in 04, uh, 2004, and served on our trustee board several years and, and uh, just did a lot of different odd th- jobs around. He loved working with his hands. He loved working outdoors, and we're going to miss John, and he was a faithful servant of the Lord. Um, with that, you know, we sing this song, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. He gives and takes away. And uh, while God took John home, he also gave a blessing to Paul and Sarah Crow. And, uh, and Paul and Sarah are rejoicing this week as they celebrated the, the, the welcoming of a new granddaughter. And uh, John uh, or Paul was sharing a little bit about uh, that on Friday um, with me and our staff and just really a miracle baby um, that the umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck three times. It also had a knot in it and uh, had been there for quite some time. So really God's provision and God's protection and how God watched over her. So God has big plans for that little girl. And so we're just excited to share uh, with Paul and Sarah and rejoice with them and and their welcoming. Um, This morning, I want to begin... Um, I'll share a little, just brief, quick, um, little snippets of my our time on sabbatical. I'm not going to share a whole lot. That's boring. You don't want to hear about all that. That's like me going on vacation and sharing like a whole bunch of pictures, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's nice. Um, I don't want to do that. I want to just share a few little things. Um, uh, this week, I hope to get a letter out to the congregation, to each of you. And just to be able to share a few highlights that I think would be encouraging and helpful to you. Uh, I do want to thank our leadership, um, specifically our deacons. Um, I I wasn't big and keen on taking this sabbatical. I knew I needed some time of rest, but uh, my deacons, our deacons, 
um, really kind of forced me to do that. When I made the year calendar and laid it before them in January, um, they said there was something missing. And then I said, well, how about in the fall? And they said, no, you can't wait that long. You need to do it before. And, uh, and so we're thankful for that. Lisa and I, um, we feel rested and uh, we appreciate the time away. Uh, I probably feel a little bit more rested than she does. She's only been on sabbatical for two weeks because she was teaching. Uh, so she had to keep at the grind and, and uh, was hard at it. Um, but God has been so faithful to us. And, uh, and for me, part of that journey on sabbatical, um, uh, it, it took me roughly, and I tried to be sensitive a little bit more this time, um, it took me about two and a half weeks to finally feel like I was away. And part of that is, is just my makeup and the way that I function, the way that I do uh, my job and the way that I, 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 I do pastoral ministry. And when I say two and a half weeks, that's because uh, it was hard for me not to think about you and to pray for you and to think about how things were going. And part of that is good. And part of that is really prideful, and it's really out of arrogance. And it comes from um, being in charge and the responsibility that I have. I don't think it's all bad, um, but I don't think it's all good either. And part of that is learning to trust God. Uh, our men's uh, Logos class, we were talking this morning, which if you missed that, let me encourage you, men and women, don't miss the opportunity to gather and to learn and to grow together. And we were talking about faith and Abraham and how he set out in faith and how you have to trust. And, and, and when you're away, and this has been our home uh, since 1999, and so it's been a long time, and we've been here, and we've seen God uh, faithfully work and use us, and we want to continue to see him work and use us. And so uh, after about two and a half weeks, I felt like I was finally starting at that place of rest where I could, my mind was, was um, attentive enough. And so when I say that is, I think Lene and I have realized, Lene has helped me to realize, my oldest, that we're a little uh, ADHD, and we're a little hyperactive. Um, we, I don't know if they had those diagnoses back when I was a kid, they probably did, but um, so when I would sit down to even just read my Bible, I had all these things going on in my mind. And so it was like a constant whirlwind. And so there's times where I would just write some of those things down just to get them off my mind. Um, but again, being away, there was a lot that I couldn't control and a lot that I couldn't do. And there was a lot that I'm like, okay, I wonder how this person is doing. I wonder how Marie Louise is. I wonder how John is doing. I wonder, and there were so many of you that as I, it's so crazy because I could go and do something. I could mow the lawn and I don't think that. But it's like as soon as I would open my Bible or as soon as I was open a book and start reading, all that stuff just floods over you. And you're like, can you just get out of there and just focus? It's like chewing and chewing gum and riding a bike. Like I couldn't do two things at once. Like I just couldn't do it. And so that time away just finally allowed my brain, I think, just to relax and and where God started ministering to my, to my mind and to my soul, to my spirit. And um, where, where for me, things became quiet. And it's been a season of quite a lot of change in our family. 
and in our life. And kind of all that started back um, when COVID hit and making different decisions. And, um, and, and part of that has been hard. And if I'm just being frank, you know, there's a lot of people still today um, that don't, don't like the decisions that we made. And actually, they still don't talk to us. They'll be in the same room and they still don't talk to Lisa and I. And that hurts. That's hard. And some of these people were friends, you know, and, and, and people that we loved and we really were, were close and acquainted with. And so part of that was working through some of that and, and just realizing we can't force people to like us. Um, all we can do is love people and to be there and to be available. Um, we also went through a series of, of challenges with our children. And with that, you know, Marissa uh, was being severely bullied at Firestone. And so we needed to, for her sake and her health and well-being, we removed her out and, uh, and she started a new school. And so that was really challenging, really hard. And I had to then give up some of my coaching responsibilities, something that I loved um, and that I felt like I was having a huge impact in and being able to have an impact on coaching uh, the boys cross country there, um, it kind of felt like that was stripped away. And so in doing that, you know, we just went through a series of, of grieving and, and a series of really uh, a lot of uh, hurt. And so we knew we were hurting, we were trying to deal with it in the right way, but sometimes you just need a break. And sometimes you just need rest. And we felt like God has given that to us. And that has been helpful in us realizing um, how important rest and the peace of God is. Um, I knew this, but this is probably obvious to you too. Uh, did you know that Jesus took naps? Like he did. Like it is a fact. We know it. The Bible says Jesus was napping on the boat, right? So, okay, God created creation, the story, right? God created for six days. On the seventh day, he rested, right? Um, and while we try to incorporate rest into our lives, I'm not really good at that. And I'm, I'm old school, and I probably always will be old school. It's just the way I was raised. Part of it is I was raised by a Marine, and, uh, and I married a Marine daughter. And so it's just a part of our makeup. And, and that's not all bad, but it's not all good either. And part of that is we're continuing to learn what does it mean to have a good, a good cycle, a good flow of, of work, but also rest and trying to make sure that we're balanced in that. Um, I just want to say thank you to the congregation, you as a whole. Thank you for each one that stepped in and served during that, our time away, but also to each of you who were faithful while we were away and for your prayers and for your support, for your encouragement. Um, part of my time away was uh, a time away up in the woods just to being alone. And, uh, and you've always heard God is good, right? And I started saying, okay, God is good, but where does it say that in the Bible? And there's a, a passage that just gave me a great uh, comfort, and it's uh, from Nahum 1.7. And it says, the Lord is good, a stronghold in, in the day of trouble. He knows who take refuge in him. 
couldn't read my writing. I have to get used to all this again. So, um, who take refuge in him. And there's such a peace in that, isn't there? Look at that. Like, the Lord is good. He is. Uh, when, when Jesus is approached and he's called good, he says, there's no one good but God. God is good. Regardless of how I think or what's going on or the situation, the scenario that's before me or that's taking place, God is always good. Do you believe that? Now, the great part about that is he's a stronghold in the day of trouble, meaning he's there. That when there's trouble, when there's hardship, like he is always there. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. He's not going to say, hey, you got to figure that on your own. Here's the beauty of it, though. He says he knows those who take refuge in him. He knows us, and he knows when we need him the most. Our God is so good, and I'm so thankful for the great privilege of being able to be called his child and to be called his son and, and to have all the blessings that I have. Um, today, Lisa and I celebrate our 23rd wedding anniversary. And uh, I am so blessed to have the woman that I have uh, along my side to serve alongside me. And, and I am extremely blessed to have the children that I have and to be able to be able to pastor to lead, to shepherd uh, this congregation at West Hill. I am far from flawless. I have many flaws. I have many shortcomings. Um, but one thing that I hope that will never change is I love the Lord. And I want the Lord to be honored in my life and through my life. And I hope that you, that's your desire too. As we move forward... Uh, I want to encourage you. We're going to start today. I'm going to give you a little introduction in the book of Daniel. And I want to encourage you from this point forward that you start reading, if you haven't, that you start reading the book of Daniel. Next week, we're going to do chapter one, and we'll take a chapter per week, all right, as we move forward. The first six chapters are pretty easy to read, all right? They're very, they're very much a narrative, all right? The, the book is kind of broke up into two different sections. The first section, chapters one through six, are, are a lot like a narrative. Uh, the second part is more uh, of the prophecy. Um, and so we'll get to see uh, that aspect of as, as Daniel is revealed, to reveal to Daniel the, the, the future and some of the prophecy that is going to come. I want to encourage you, while it may seem strange, chapters 7 through 12, I want to encourage you, keep reading it, all right? And so if you're able for the week to read through the whole, the whole book, I want to encourage you to do that. It's 12 chapters, all right? It's not very long, not very long. It's, it's pretty easy read, especially those first six chapters. If you're not able to do that, let me encourage you to read the chapter that we're going to focus on next, though. Even if you aren't able to do the whole book, uh, and next week we'll be in chapter one. And so maybe you read chapter one several times. And maybe you set aside um, a little notebook where you write, write yourself some questions. And to see uh, how God may answer those as we go through this uh, journey together. I've entitled it uh, Joyful Journey, a study through Daniel. 
And, uh, and I, I'm excited about the journey that God is going to take us on as we walk through this book. So let's do that. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about Daniel and then, uh, we're not going to dig in too much to, uh, the book of Daniel. We're going to look at a verse in second Peter at the end here. Um, but let's give, let me give you some background of the book of Daniel. Again, chapters one through six and chapter seven through 12, two halves, each with its own genre. The first is like historical narratives. Uh, the second is um, apocalyptic prophecy. Um, James Vernon McGee says in his um, uh, commentary, he says a fourth of the books of the Bible are prophetic in nature. A fifth of them at the time of the writing was prophetic. And so when we think about how important prophecy is in the Bible, it's critical. And while there are some who desire to dig in and to know more about prophecy, unfortunately, there are a lot who push it to the side. And, uh, and I, I believe that as we walk through the book of Daniel, we're going to see the sovereignty of God. We're going to see the power of God, the judgment of God, and how he controls all of history. Um, God has a plan, and he has a purpose for all the ages. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan um, gave the theme for Daniel. This was his theme. Persistent government of God in the government of the world. The persistent government of God in the government of the world. And so God is over in control of all things. Do you believe that? All right. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing as we start reading the news or we start encountering different, different, different things that take place before us, whether it's in our own government or other governments of the world, as we can see not only in our own government here in America, but we see that in the wars that are taking place across the world. Daniel, we see as we walk through that God, God has his own structure. All right. And we can trust that he has a plan. Um, great theologian, Arnold uh, Gablin, he was born in 1861, um, passed away in 1945. He said this, he said this about the prophecy. The denial of the inspiration of the Bible has become widespread. I thought this was interesting because this was, he, he wrote this in the late 1800s. Okay, so think about that. As, as we even encounter today. The, not, the denial of the inspiration of the Bible has become widespread. If prophecy were intelligently studied, such a denial could not flourish as it does, for prophecy gives the clearest and most concise evidence that the Bible is the inspired and infallible word of God. I believe that's true. When we look at the prophecy and even the prophecies of Jesus, all right, of the Old Testament, and here would come the Messiah, and all the things that Jesus fulfilled, it shows that the Bible is true. But instead, what we do is we Google, or we, we just neglect the prophecies, and we just say, oh, well, it didn't really happen that way. We just slough off. And no, if we want to be students of the word, if you want to increase your faith, Start looking at the prophecies of scripture and that will encourage you. And I believe it will solidify your faith in the Lord of heaven and earth. 
I believe part of what we're going to learn as we walk through this is we're going to learn about how much we try to control our lives, how much we trust in ourselves. We're going to talk about faith a lot. What does it mean to have faith, to be able to trust even when you can't see a reliance, a reliance upon the God who sees all and who is in control of all. And ultimately, we're going to see some examples, good and bad, of humility, what it means to be humble. Hope, peace, confidence, joy, that all comes from a real relationship with Jesus and with our Lord. We get to see who Daniel is, who is this character, and out of all the prophets, we probably get more insight into Daniel than any other prophet. We'll get to see how he lives, some of his thoughts, a lot of his actions. We will also get to see how, how God is setting the stage to reveal to Daniel what is to come, what the future looks like. To reveal prophecy, Daniel will reveal prophecy to the kings, and then Daniel will reveal prophecy to us. Now, I do want to pause here, and oftentimes today, the church will look at Daniel and will try to put in the church as part of this prophecy. I believe, after studying and reading, the church is not dealt with in the prophecy of Daniel. Daniel doesn't know about the church. It's not revealed to him. What is revealed to Daniel is the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel is distinct and separate from the church. We live in a church age. And one day that age will come to a conclusion. All right. Where God has poured out his grace upon both Jew and Gentile. And so that day will end. And I believe that day is when Jesus returns, all right, and, and his coming back and the start of the tribulation will begin. And God will deal with the nations, and especially the Gentile nations. And that's one of the things that Daniel talks about is the Gentile nations. Because up until this point, God has at times, while he has judged Israel, he has always kept the remnant and a part of Israel together uh, in their land. Uh, but at this point, we're going to see this is going to change because Israel has abandoned God and their faith in him. All right. He will judge them and he will use the Gentile nations to ultimately to destroy their temple and to destroy their city. And so now the Jewish people and all the promises of the Old Testament uh, come into question. And so the Jewish people get scattered and we're going to see uh, how Daniel and his writing will offer to Israel as they read it. Think about that first generation who's reading what Daniel has written. They're gaining from that hope. They're gaining from that encouragement and joy because God is in control. And while they are dispersed, God still has a plan. And so we have to be careful as we read it because we sit here, uh, many of us, very comfortably uh, in, in Western America and, and, and with our church age. When we read the text and when we study the text, we want to be careful 
um, because the church isn't dealt with here. But that does not mean it is not important, that the prophecy is not important. It is critical and it is very important to us. Uh, Ezekiel, all right, Ezekiel is a contemporary of Daniel. And so Ezekiel, as he's writing, uh, even mentions Daniel, um, which is important for us because there are some who, who would say that Daniel shouldn't be in our canon in the Bible. And uh, kind of a couple arguments to refute that. Um, uh, the first is Ezekiel shares about Daniel in Ezekiel 14. Uh, and then verse 14 and verse 20. And then later in chapter 20, verse 3, he'll use three men that Ezekiel uh, talks about. He'll talk about Moses. He'll talk about Daniel. And he'll talk about Job. There's some argument that the Daniel that Ezekiel talks about isn't his contemporary Daniel, but somebody who lived during Job's age. And I think that that can be refuted very easily because when you start to study that Daniel, who was uh, a, a kind of a prince, kind of a leader, that Daniel um, was uh, actually he worshipped pagan gods and, and he did not follow the true and living God. He, he worshipped idols and, uh, and did a lot of idol worshiping and even idol sacrificing. And so when you start to get that, I don't think Ezekiel is talking about that Daniel, do you? Not, not as one who has great wisdom, who follows the Lord. He's using Daniel along with Moses and along with Job. And there's some time period there that fits very well when you look at Job and Moses and then Daniel. Jesus even talks about Daniel in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, verse 15, where Jesus speaks of the prophet Daniel and the time to come and the abomination of desecration that will be happening. And so if Jesus talks about the prophet Daniel in his writings, I believe that's sufficient enough for me, I hope it is for you, that it should be incorporated and be part of the canon, part of the Bible. We also see that uh, even the Greek... Uh, Septuagint, which is a, excuse me, other ears have used this for the last seven weeks, so I got to get it back fitting mine. The Greek Septuagint uh, is a translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, and when that was written, it included Daniel. And the argument was that Daniel had to have had two different authors. And part of that was Daniel was writing not only uh, the first six chapters, but then a couple of other chapters had to have been when somebody watched firsthand what was taking place in some of that prophecy, which was roughly 140, 150 BC. Well, the Septuagint was written long before that. And it included Daniel as well. And so that refutes the, the thought that Daniel was written in 140 uh, or, or 150 when, when some of this prophecy, because the argument is, is that there's no way that Daniel could have written and, and prophesied to the detail that he did and that it would come true. I don't know about you, but maybe I'm just simply minded, but... I have enough faith that God is so awesome and he's so good that when he says something, that if there's detail, it can come true. 
Like it doesn't take somebody seeing it first to write about it, to act like it's going to be prophecy. No, Daniel was shown and so he shared that. It wasn't some other second author who then wrote about that. And so Josephus even helps us as we think about this. Josephus was an early uh, Jewish historian who we look at a lot of his writings and he shares a lot about the Jewish uh, context and even about some of, uh, of what it means um, in the Jewish beliefs. Now, we don't know. There's argument about was Josephus a Christian or not? Did he become a Christian? We know he was a great historian and he recorded a lot. And when uh, he recorded in his Antiquity of the Jews, volume 1, page 388, he said, according to the prophecy of Daniel, which was given 408 years before, what he writes about is that in 332 B.C., there was an, an invasion that reached the Near East. And Jadua, the high priest at that time, showed Alexander the Great a copy of Daniel. And Alexander the Great did not come in and destroy anymore because the high priest showed him. And he was so elated to see that Alexander the Great, that he was in this prophecy that Daniel had recorded, that he spared the city. And that took place in 332 BC. So how was it written in 140 or 150 BC? Remember, you're counting down, okay? So again, I'm just trying to help you to think through this. Some of you uh, don't desire that, but I think it's important that you think through how is Daniel part of the scriptures? And are you confident that it was written and that it was given by Daniel? I think it solidifies because what we're going to read and how we're going to study it, we need to have that basis to say, do I believe that Daniel is part of our Bible? And if I do believe that, then I've got to trust what Daniel has written in it. The Dead Sea Scrolls are another very solid, uh, gives us a lot of, uh, of solid um, proof that Daniel, uh, there is uh, kind of this, idea that Isaiah and Daniel were kind of like written um, by two different people and, and uh, uh, Isaiah was written by two different people. And the Dead Sea Scrolls help us to see, no, Isaiah was written by Isaiah, the full and complete part of part, all of Isaiah. And Daniel was written by Daniel. And so as we begin to study and really dig into that, it helps again solidify as we open our Bible, how do we know for a fact that we have the Bible that we have, that God wanted us and orchestrated it. It's an absolute miracle. It's an absolute work of God that we have the Bible that we have. It is without error, and it is the full and complete word of God. Do you believe that? It is breathed by God. In the book of Daniel, it's going to be awesome to walk through it. Daniel lived, he was roughly born uh, in 620 B.C., 620 BC and 605 BC. Um, we're going to look in a little bit uh, next week. This hopefully will help you as you begin to read chapter 1. 605 BC, um, Jerusalem is sieged, and Daniel will be taken along with his friends um, to another city. He's going to um, be a sojourner now and to a different land. And then roughly the temple foundation will be rebuilt in 536, so about 70 years, which we see 
That's a fulfillment of what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 25, verses 11 through 12. And so we see about this man, Daniel, that he is greatly loved in Daniel 10, verse 11. Which is interesting when we look at Daniel and when we look at John, because John wrote Revelation and how they're classified. Here's Daniel, who is called greatly loved, and how is John classified? Anybody? Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus loved, the beloved, all right? And so now we have these titles of these two men who, who will help us to see what the end times look like. And it's a connection, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see um, three things that I just want to leave with you as we kind of give this overview today of Daniel that I think um, you're going to see in the weeks to come, but I pray that you will take with you even today. Number one is Daniel's example. Daniel's example, we're going to see how his godliness to the exiles, uh, even during a heathen society, all right? And so the exiles, meaning uh, the Jews are now, they're, they're, they're no longer having their own territory. They don't have their land anymore. They don't have uh, their, their, their temple. It will be destroyed. So they're spread ab abroad. And so here... Now, Daniel is going to show as an example of what it means to love God and to follow God and to trust God. I think that's applicable for us as we move forward. In our land, how do we set the example? How do we show the next generation? How are we living today in a way, in a, in a, moving in a society that is non-Christian? That is not God-honoring. That does violent and awful things. If you have your eyes closed, if you're not open to it, listen, our world is not getting better. Daniel talks about that. That's what prophecy does. And there's some people who, who do believe, oh, there are things in our world we are getting better as a society. No, that is not the truth. And that's not biblical. A young man, 17 years old, two weeks ago, gets beat up. His skull gets fractured and he dies. Our world isn't getting any better. We have threats going on of killing judges who might rule that life may stand. So how do we, how do you and I, how do we live Looking at Daniel's life and seeing what this young man was. This wasn't some guy who had been through the storm before. No, this is a young kid who's learning what it looks like to follow God in complete trust and complete faith. And so we're going to see Daniel serves as a great example to us. Besides Jesus, there is no one else in the Bible that is unflawed and shared about like Daniel. Daniel was still a sinner. He needed God's grace and forgiveness. Daniel wasn't perfect, but there is not another man or woman who is mentioned in the Bible in detail, as much detail as we have about Daniel, that was not flawed like him. It should make us want to be like him and to be like the God he loved and served. 
The second thing that we're going to see as we walk through this book is God's omnipotence. I know that's a big word, uh, but I think it's an important word for us to understand. Omnipotence, all right? Omnipotence is unlimited power, all right? God has no limit in his power. He's able to do anything. You live life that way, thinking about your God that way. You think about your God like, I know my God is omnipotent and he has all the power in the world today. Do you live with that kind of faith? I think as we walk through the book of Daniel, one of my hopes and one of my desires for you is that you'll see God in that way. That you'll see and it will encourage your faith and your trust that your satisfaction won't be in you and the decisions that you have to make and, and, and even your own provisions, but that you'll see that the God of the universe, who is sovereign in control of all things, that he has the power to do exactly what needs to be done. Our God is that big. And God will use, he will use the Gentile nations to showcase his attributes and his holiness. That's the beauty of our God. He's not a respecter of persons, meaning he doesn't have to have this one person. He can choose to use anyone, and he will even use the pagan nations to show his people, Israel, that he is faithful and he is holy and that he is good. Third is we will see God's faithfulness. That Israel, God's chosen people, will ultimately be delivered. That as they have been spread in the exile, no longer able to worship God together, that even though they abandon him, that God will not abandon them. That God will deliver them. God will overcome and defeat evil. We know that because we're looking from this end of history, and we see Jesus. Daniel points to the Messiah, to the Jesus who was going to come, and to how God would then restore, after Jesus, who was going to restore his nation, his own chosen people, and he would come and rule with them and over them. So we will see God's faithfulness, how even though these are people who turn their back on him, who sought to do their own things, who sought wickedness. They intermarried with other, other nations when God told them not to. They chose to abhor their own faith and they worshiped idols. They mixed and God said, I want you to be holy. I want you to be distinct. I want you to be set apart from all those other nations but they chose not to. We will see God's faithfulness, that he is true to his word. I've seen that in my own life, that even in times where I am unfaithful, God is still faithful and he is still true. When we think about this idea of prophecy, I wanna share this thought with you and, to, to, and just encourage you as you walk forward I believe that prophecy is the lamp that shines in a dark place until the day is dawned. Think about this. We live in a dark world and it's continuing to get darker 
And the Bible says it will continue to get darker. What does prophecy do? As we read prophecy and as we read the word of God, what it does is it helps provide a light. It's a lamp, right? And that lamp gives us encouragement that we're not just surrounded by darkness without hope. And that lamp is lit until it is fulfilled, until the day is dawn. And we read that in Revelation that, that when Jesus comes and when the new heaven and the new earth comes, there is no more need for a sun. There is no more night. It's day all day long, like day all day long. How does that work? I don't know, but you, it is light all the time. The lamp that we have right now is prophecy. It's the word of God that shows us and helps keep our mind and our heart focused not on the surrounding circumstances of where we are, but of what is to come, the truth of what is to come. Peter says it this way, all right? I didn't just come up with this. This is from God's word. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. It says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Here's the picture that Peter says, listen, we would do well. Listen, pay attention. Hear what has been spoken because it's like a lamp in the darkness until the day comes. The morning star. You know who's called the morning star? Our Savior Jesus. And one day he will return. Isn't that awesome? We have an awesome God. And he is worthy of our love and our commitment and our devotion to him. And so don't seek after your own will this week. Seek him. He tells us if we seek him, he may be found. So we don't seek after a God like the wind striving to achieve and to get something that we can't see. No, we have the true and living God who's there desiring for us to know him more. Will you pursue him? I hope you will. Will you pray with me, Lord? Thanks for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity of opening your word here, just even looking at Second Peter and what he has to say. Lord, that the prophecy, the lamp that you've given us, you've given us, you've given us the little light in this dark place. It gives us hope. It helps us see, Lord, that, 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 that we're not alone. There are others who are striving to love you and to follow you. We also see your great power and how you're in control of all things. Even, Lord, you help us to realize we're not in control. Of so much, we're not, we don't have control. There's a false sense where we feel like we're in control. So Lord, forgive us and our arrogance and our pride. Help us to trust you. Help us to see in the weeks to come, your omnipotence, your great power. May that be displayed, Lord, in your word and even in our lives, that we may give testimony of your, your omnipotence. And Lord, we want to thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we see on this side, through this lens, 
the coming Messiah. And we see Jesus has come. And he's paid the full price that was deserved to be paid for the punishment of sins. We thank you that he became the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That he was willing to give his life so that we could have life forever with you. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, that they would accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. That they would trust him and obey him and follow Jesus to the fullest. Help, help us, Lord, to be faithful to you in the week ahead as we study through this book. May you, see, may you help us, Lord, may you help us to see the joy in our journey here on this earth. Daniel had that. Lord, we desire that. So show us your faithfulness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.